you, Will Cooper, for putting that together, but um, really thank you all for being a part of it. Everybody here played some part, large or small, to make all that happen. Um, this morning, we are going to turn our attention to 1 Samuel, um, page 225, if you're in your Blue Pew Bibles. And last April, when I realized, we all realized, COVID wasn't going to last just two weeks. Remember thinking that? <laughs> oh, we're shut down for two weeks. We'll be back April 1st. And then you realize, yeah, it's going to be June 1st. 2025 or something. I don't know. I mean, um, uh, <laughs> well, when we shut down, we're in the middle of a kind of an extended series in First and Second Samuel, and I felt like because of the events that were happening at the time, uh, I needed to move off of that and address some other issues, and I thought I would come back to it much sooner than today, but here we are, um, and I'm, I'm glad to, to press play now on this, but in order to, to catch us back up, we've got to review because we can't just land in first or Second Samuel chapter 11, which is where we left off. So the next few weeks, that's what I want to do. Some of this is content that you've heard before, but it, some people are new, and uh, it's always good to review. And for, just want to try to go back and catch the highlights beginning in First Samuel and eventually land in Second Samuel chapter 11 and then finish the series um, by the middle of the summer. So just some background, and, and you're, we're, there's not going to be one particular scripture reading because we're going to be flipping through the Bible, and so if you just kind of stay with me and we'll work slowly, and I'll point out the verses that I'm looking at uh, as we go through. First Samuel, for some context, has to be read Joshua led the people into the promised land, and pretty quickly the people began to drift away from the Lord. And they would have this cycle. They drift away from the Lord, they get into trouble, and then they cry out to the Lord for some kind of help. And a judge, which is almost always a military, you think, think of a military general, would come in and fight against the enemies of God and uh, bring in some stability for some period of time. And then the cycle would repeat and when you get to the end of Judges, you have this verse, the very last verse in the book. In those days, no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Imagine living in a nation disconnected from God where the desires of the individual are king. Can you imagine living in a nation like that? Yeah, that's this nation. Like a kite that is gaining altitude, thinks if I just cut the string, I'll then really be free. The people of God were gaining altitude because of their faithfulness and thought, well, if I cut the string, I'll really be free. And just like the kite, they were sent into a downward spiral. And we're at this bottom point of this spiral when we turn to chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. And the first person that enters in is a, a faithful woman, a very obscure woman from the Middle East, from a kind of a no-name town. Her name is Hannah. And when she enters in, the, the, the whole nation is in desperation, as we'll see. And I think the important thing to point out 
Next week we'll look at David. Is to think about the story. We have these towering figures. Samuel, Saul, the first king, David, the, the real true king. In the shadow, but in the foundation, I would say, is Hannah. This, this barren woman. It doesn't start, the story doesn't start with power and prestige. It starts with a, a faithful woman who wants to pray. Hannah is in a painful situation, as we learn in verse 6, chapter 1. The Lord had closed her womb. Very key verse. She's in pain. And I wonder if you've been in this kind of pain. Hannah's in the painful situation knowing that her situation isn't an accident, but it's an action of God. This this is her struggle. She's trying to come to grips with this. How do I come to grips with the all-sovereign, almighty God and my personal pain? You ever been in that situation? I, I believe there there is a, a sovereign, almighty God, but yet I'm experiencing this personal pain and I can't somehow get these two to meet together, and that's where Hannah is. She trusts in the Lord, but yet she has this personal pain. She's, she's barren. She's, she's being picked on by the other people around her. And so we come to chapter 1, verse 9 in these key verses, and let's read these together. She had gone to the temple. This is an annual trip that she and her husband or family takes. And after they had eaten... In Shiloh, this is where the temple is located, Hannah rose. That's a circle phrase, Hannah rose. She's standing up. This is an an action that in a movie you would say this is a key turning point. She's standing up and she's going to the temple. Eli the priest, he's sitting beside the doorpost of the temple and she goes in and she's deeply distressed. She prays to the Lord and she weeps bitterly. Verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, not forget your servant, but I will give your servant a son and then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Here's where the things begin to switch for Hannah in her struggle. She, She stands up. She decides, I'm, I'm going to stop complaining, and I'm just going to give it to the Lord. And for some of it, that's, just the, that's what we need to hear today. I, I have a soundtrack in my mind of constant complaints. And they're real pain. I'm not saying you're making them up. But I just need to say, I'm going to finally give that narrative over to the Lord. I can't control it. I can't do anything about it. It is painful. But my complaining isn't making it go away. So I'm just going to download all this in the temple of the Lord, in the space of the Lord. I'm going to, to do what the verse said, Matthew 11, I believe it was. I'm going, to, I'm going to unload my burdens on the person who can do something about them. And I want you to notice how her, she changes, especially with her vocabulary. Her prayer says, O Lord of hosts, I am your servant. This, this is the beginning of her getting out of her own personal orbit and getting into God's orbit. In your prayers, I want you to ask yourself, whose orbit are you mostly in? 
Is it, Lord, here's my orbit. Would you come in and fix my orbit? Is that how you pray? Or do you pray, Lord, you're the orbit. (laughs) And I want to, in my prayer, I want to step into that orbit. And what am I? I'm just your servant. I'm a servant servant in pain right now. I wish this was working out, but you're the king. You're you're the Lord of hosts. You're you're the person who makes the orbit. It's not me. It's not me saying, God, I have an orbit. I have a little kingdom, and I need you to come in and rearrange the pieces in my kingdom. No, I need to step into your kingdom, and I'm a piece of your kingdom. And if I play a painful role, then I'm a servant. I'm not the king. This is a huge, huge transition in the soundtrack of Hannah's mind. You can imagine her day after day, Lord, here's my orbit, here's my pain, come in and fix it. And now she's saying, no, I'm standing up, I'm going to take this and bring it to God's orbit and say, you're the Lord of hosts, you're the king of kings, you're you're the Lord of a great army, and I'm in that army as a servant. And if you choose to use me as a barren woman my entire life, that will be painful, but I'm in your orbit. Huge. This is why why Hannah is such a foundational figure. This kind of faithful change in prayer is what births something brand new. And this is the kind of prayer God is looking for from his people. You see her change. She went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. This is how you can see. It's not a bargain. She's not making a bargain. She's making a promise. Here's how Tim Keller paraphrases Hannah's prayer, I think artfully. Lord, all my life I've wanted a child for me. I still want to participate in childbearing, but I want to do it for you now. Lord, if you had given me a child before this prayer, I would have made him. I restored you. Therefore, I'm asking for you, not for me. And however you want to answer this prayer, I'm your servant. And you see it. She, she makes her prayer, and then she makes her peace. She's not sad anymore. She worships, and then she goes home. If it had been a bargain, it would have been prayer, pregnancy, then I'm at peace. Right? I've done this, I've done this, so let's come into my world for a moment. got the deal going on. You know, it sure would look good for me if you did this. And if you do this, then I'll finally be at peace. I'll be at rest. I won't ask you for much anymore. I'll, I won't complain anymore. You ever done that? Again, just me. But, but it's prayer, he supplies, and then I pretend I'm going to be at peace. But for Hannah, it's prayer, I'm at peace. Now, I want to be pregnant, but if I'm not, I'm going to still be at peace. I'm still going to be able to worship. This is why Hannah is such a, 
a key person. Three years later, she visits the temple with her three-year-old son, Samuel. And she leaves him there for the rest of his life. She comes back for annual visits, but she keeps good on her promise to give him to the Lord. And Samuel becomes this great leader. He's followed by Saul and David and Solomon, and you might say history. There's a biblical pattern here. It's not just Hannah. Of God needing to change the course of a nation, the course of a city, the course of a family, the course of a church. And he uses one relatively obscure, faithful woman. And because of her faith, everything changes. We can start in Genesis and go through and find woman after woman just like that. Now, they're not obscure to us because we know who they are, but they will have been obscure. And so, especially if you're a woman, if you feel like, hey, I feel like the obscure woman. This, this is the kind of person God is looking for. Somebody who would really be willing to say, I'm stepping out of my orbit. Please think first how hard that's going to be. When you wake up at the soundtrack and you're at the center of it, So God is looking for that person who's going to say, I can really just step in to God's orbit and say, I'm the servant. Hannah. Big person that comes on in the same There's so much to say in so little time to say it. So let's just look at chapter 3, the call of Samuel. I love this chapter. There's so much imagery here. Um, And let me read the first three verses. Now, the young man Samuel was ministering before the Lord. He had been dropped off by his his um, his mom, and now he's he's under the the uh, tutor of Eli, the priest. And notice what it says: and the word of the Lord was rare in those day in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not gone out yet, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of the covenant was. And then the Lord called out to Samuel. The Lord was there. There was no frequent vision. The lamp of God had not quite gone out. It's, it's, you're meant to, it's getting dark. Darkness seems like it's going to actually overtake the light. You're supposed to feel the danger. And the biggest danger for the people of God and for the nation here is that the priest, Eli, he no longer relies on the word of God. Whenever the word of God is not spoken from the house of God, it's a disaster for the people of God. And eventually a disaster for the nation. If you're new to Christ Community Church, the first thing in our motto is teaching the Bible. And it's not first by mistake. 
Because if we have everything else, if we have 500 people come here and get a vaccination, that's really nice. But that's not necessary. Eternal life. And if we don't have the word of God, that we're living in darkness. We don't have any real light to give out. What's happening? The people are living in darkness. The, the word of God is rare in those days. And what you're supposed to see here in chapter 3 is the contrast, the, the shift from Eli in the darkness to Samuel in the light. First of all, Eli's physical blindness, verses 1 and 2, it's a reflection of his spiritual blindness. Verse 2, Eli's lying down. You notice where he says, in his own place. It's, it's a way of saying he's moving away. He, he's, he, he's nearly blind. The darkness has overcome him. He's moved away from the word of the Lord. Just in verse 13, Eli has some sons. And it says this, and declare to to Eli that I'm about this is the Lord speaking I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew there was evil that he knew it was coming from his own sons who were blaspheming God but notice what it says he didn't restrain them when you move away from the word of God In verse 2, and restraint have the same Greek word. And it's the way of the writer saying, when the word of God gets dim in your mind, what you used to call evil, you don't call evil anymore. This is Eli. This is what's happening. We're supposed to compare what's happening with Samuel, verse 3. Samuel isn't lying down in one place of the Lord. He's, he's put himself in the way of the Lord. This is what you do when you get up in the morning and you read your Bible. This is what you do when you get up and you pray. You say, first thing you want to get up is the Lord. You don't want to wake up, grab your phone, and start scrolling through your text or media or your social media. Because what you're saying is, the most important thing I need to address is this kind of stuff. I need to get in the way of that. See how Samuel's saying, I need to get in this way and then say, I'm the servant, so when I get into this stream, I know how to navigate it. I've got so many sermons in here, I've just got to stop and then keep moving forward. So sorry if it seems jumbled. And then you know the story. We didn't have a chance to read it 4 through 10. He Through 10, the Samuel uh, gets a, a call from the Lord. And he thinks it happens four times. The first three times he thinks it's Eli. So he goes over to Eli's house or the adjoining room or whatever it is and says, hey, have you called? No, no, it's not me. And then the fourth time, Samuel hears God's voice and it says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That sounds vaguely familiar to him. I'm your servant. And I don't, I mean, I don't know. But I think that, I think Hannah might have come back on her annual trip and said, hey, Samuel, this is where that prayer happened. This is where I knelt in prayer and I said, I'm the servant of the Lord. I, I can't, I don't know. But it feels like, hey, he's heard this before and this is how you're supposed to 
speak, Lord. You're the Lord, and I'm a servant. I'm listening. And then you're supposed to see in these verses that I'll point out how God is opening up verse 15 of chapter 3. Samuel lay there to the morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. This is supposed to, again, in the movie, the temple always faces east, so when you open the doors in the morning, what happens? Money comes flowing in. This is, a, this is beautiful music being played in the background. Yes, the sun's coming in. So, there's somebody here who's going to listen to the word of the Lord. Read verse 19 with me. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Verse four, chapter four, verse one, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. You see that? I'm I'm open to the word of the Lord. It's coming to me. It's helping me grow. And now I'm giving that back away to Israel. And the word of the Lord coming back to the house of the Lord is not just good for the people of the Lord. It's good for a whole nation. What's the answer to our current struggles? You ever read the newspaper or go online and listen to the news? You just think it's just too overwhelming. What in the world? This is the answer. This has been God's answer from the very beginning. We've got to have somebody here who knows the Lord and is willing to say, this is what the Lord says. And that flows into you and revives your soul. And then you go out into a city or a country, or a nation, and light comes out. That's, that's what we're looking for. It's not going to be Republican or Democrat. It's not going to be a certain amount of money or, or conserving a certain... It's none of those things. The main thing we need is right here. Right here. And there needs to be people who say, I'm going to step in, I'm going to step out of my orbit into God's orbit, and when I go out into my life, I'm leading from God's orbit, not my own orbit. That is going to be very hard to do. And in order for you and I to do it, we have to have somebody. We desperately need somebody to pump this well into our souls. Now, I'm, I'm going to start preaching if I don't get moving. So, But do, I, do you feel that? I want you to feel that with me. This is so necessary. This is so critical right now. And we can see how critical it was in the life of the nation of Israel. When you read through these stories, you're supposed to stop and ask yourself, am I more like Eli or more like Samuel? Have you just kind of drifted away? I mean, over the last year, because of COVID and chaos, you know, where you were is not, not where you are. You've just, you're, you kind of, your room was with the Lord. Now you're, you're in a kind of a different room. Or are you more like Samuel? You're, speak, Lord. I'm, I'm here to listen. Not to, I, my prayers are to listen, not to tell you what to do. I want to beg you before we get to Saul, if you feel like you're drifting, it can get pretty dark and you can feel like you can't turn around. So turn around. Chapter 8, Saul. 
I mean, Hannah and Samuel are such beautiful examples that you want to model your life after. Saul is a tragic example of what happens when it gets, what happens when it gets too dark. The problem began because the people in chapter 8, they came to Samuel and said, you know, we want to be like everybody else. This is always a big problem. When you look out at the culture and say, I just want to do whatever I can to fit in, and all the other people had kings, and they saw that they had power and prestige, and so we don't want God as our king anymore. He's more like a backup plan. Eight. Chapter 8, verse 5, we want to look like all the other nations around us. And I want us to read this sobering response. Chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people. God giving you over to your own voice. God giving you over to your own desires. This is not a good thing. For they have rejected you. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Mm. The Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice. When your voice is king, you're in trouble. And then to, to emphasize it, verse 9 through 17, I won't read it all, but just take your pencil and circle the phrases he will take. Now then, obey their voice. Verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9. Only you solemnly shall warn them. So before they say yes to this, warn them, and maybe they'll turn around. This is what the king's going to be like. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king and said, verse 11, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Notice, he will take. He will take. He will take your sons. And in verse 12, he's going to appoint for himself commanders. And verse 13, he will take daughters. Verse 14, and he's going to take the best of your fields. Verse 15, he's going to take a tenth of everything you own. Verse 16, he's going to take your servants. Verse 17, he's going to take all your flocks, a tenth of your flocks. He will take. When you, avoid, when you, when you follow another voice, that voice will take. It promises to give, but it's going to take. words and listen to another voice that voice is going to take Jesus says the same thing John 10 10 most of us know this first part of this verse I have come that they might have life and have it what to the full I mean everybody loves that that's on your keychain that's on your mirror that's everywhere but it's 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 not the whole verse the thief comes to steal, kill, to destroy. Whose voice has come to give life, but I want you to know there's another voice. It might be the soundtrack in your head. voice promises to give, but it's not going to give. It's going to take. It's going to steal. It's going to kill. It's going to destroy. Couldn't be any clearer. 
people's response, chapter 19, chapter 18, verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no. Oh, man, that's a killer. You just want to get in here and just go, no, no, turn around. I mean, sir, try again. So God gives them a king like them. In other words, God gives them a king like to obey his own voice. This is what you're like. I'm going to let you sort of see it in magnification. And he gives them Saul. And we have two things happening in Saul, two tests that sort of expose Saul's heart. Chapter 13 and chapter 15. Saul's first leadership test. Samuel says, Saul, now I'm prepared for a fight against the Philistines. And Saul was just given one command. This is what you have to do. So just wait. Go there, but wait, wait. And then when I show up, I'll get an offering to the Lord. This is Samuel saying, and we'll find out what the Lord wants us to do. Fight, not fight, do this, not do that. But the, the only thing you need to do is wait. And it turns out waiting is not so simple. See, the real leadership test here was not whether Saul could fight and win against the Philistines. It's whether Saul could fight and win against himself. That's happening. But Samuel or Saul doesn't wait. And you see his, his reasoning. Chapter 13. Samuel said, what have you done? Saul had taken the offering and done it himself. And Saul said, well, why? I saw the people. See, you're going to just see this pattern for Saul. It's never Saul. Saul, the people, they were desperate. I saw that you didn't come. I mean, you, you were a little bit late here. So two people are to blame, the people and Saul. Verse 12, now the Philistines will come down against me. So the Philistines, they're gathering. So I had to do something. So what does it say in, at the very end of verse 11, verse 12? So I forced myself, I forced myself to go. God's word. Oh, hey, Samuel. It wasn't easy to go against God's word, but I did it. It took a lot of effort, but I did it. It won't be. It won't take so much effort next time. Once you get used to going against God's word, it might be hard in the beginning. It gets easier as you go along. Chapter fifteen is basically a repeat performance. He's supposed to go and have another fight, and he's given one set of instructions. Basically, you're going to fight the Amalekites. They're, they're wicked. I don't want anything from them, the Lord says. Just fight, win, come back empty-handed. We don't want to have any sort of any of their sin touching us. So only thing you have to do, the battle is over. Chapter 15, verse 12, Samuel goes to, to meet Saul early in the morning, and as he's going down after the battle to get a report, it says this, Saul came and he set up a monument for himself. See what's happening? What a, it's, he's just slipping away. Now I won a battle and guess who who's, gets all the glory? Me. He's just turned into a big me monster.
you see this in this exchange, verses 13 through 20. Verse 13, Samuel comes to Saul, and Saul says, well, I have obeyed. Self-deception. Verse 14, well, why, why do I hear all these noisy sheep in the background? Verse 19, Samuel says, well, why didn't you obey? Verse 20, well, I did obey. See, he just can't see it. He just can't even see his own sin now. He's so self-deceived, he, he just doesn't see anything. In verse 21, well, the people took the stuff. You see what he's just, at the end, he knows he's sort of caught, so he just shifts the blame. His old habit starts in Genesis 3. Saul's biggest problem Saul was for Saul. But this monument to himself. Is this you? You got to think about it. It's very easy in our culture to build a monument to yourself. You look at it every day at your retirement bank account check and recheck if you've been liked how many people responded I mean a thousand ways to do it if somebody comes and approaches you and says it looks like you're going the wrong way you lash out mm. you're building a monument to yourself Verse 23, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king. Saul's soul is in a deep, dark hole. Fast forward to chapter 28. Saul's very near the end. He's back in a battle with the Philistines, arch enemies of God's people. And he could no longer hear from the Lord. So what does he do? Chapter 28, verse 7. I need to go and talk to a witch. I just want you to appreciate over a lifespan. If you don't take care of that little acorn of sin right now, it can grow. Things you never thought you would think or do or on who just seemed like so far away if you don't step on that right now you can get to this kind of darkness Saul ends up going into a battle unadvised because he doesn't hear the voice of the Lord he gets wounded in the battle and he doesn't see any way out chapter 31 he commits suicide The king will come and take. And what did the king do? He took his own life. A friend of mine shot himself in the head last week. I wake up this morning and a 17-year-old girl jumped off the I-40 overpass bridge. 150, 200 feet. 
You're listening to another voice. It seems crazy you could get to that point. But this is, the Bible is telling us this is what's happening. And we see it in real time. And somehow the soundtrack in your brain says, I'm too far gone. The mercies can't be here for me. If I go to the stream, it's not going to be available. These are all lies that eventually end up in he will take, he will kill, he will destroy. So whose voice is king for you? Hannah, it's great, faithful foundation. Somebody, God is looking for somebody to say, I'm just going to totally get out of my orbit and I'm going to be the servant. Samuel, this person who comes in and says, I'm going to open up the doors and let God's word rush in and rush out and heal a nation and heal a people. Those are the people God is looking for. You could come in and live by another voice. You could have power and live by another voice. We come today to the table to remember the voice of the Lord who says, I've I've come not to not to be the thief, but to be destroyed so that you could to have life. This is the kind of king we, we serve. He comes to give, not to take. If you trusted have trusted in Christ, let's uh, take this together. Let's remember to peel off that thin top layer and get the weight. And the second one for the juice. Let's take it in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, ah, sobering moment, a divine moment. Nobody's here by accident. We're supposed to ask ourselves, where, where are we? Are we Hannah? Are we the old Hannah or the new Hannah? Are we the complaining Hannah or we've stepped out of our orbit into your orbit? Are we Samuel? Do we put ourselves in the way of your word or other voices? Saul. And you use this I say turn around. Lord, you, your voice, I pray, would be king now and forever.